Well, good morning. The smell of cheese this morning is strong, but I am excited um, for you all who are experiencing the Packers being in the conference championship uh, today. Uh, You get a glimpse of what it's like for a Patriots fan who's been in the conference championship every year since 2011 until this year. And so like, admittedly today, I don't know what to do. Um, but I hope that whatever you experience today, the, uh, whether it's disappointment or excitement over a potential win, or if you do win, I hope you understand that's the burden that we Patriot fans have carried these past, this past decade, really. So it's an opportunity for us to empathize with one another and to bond over shared experiences. So I am praying for you all uh, today uh, during that um, and watch your diet, too. We don't want any heart attacks caused by the game and high cholesterol. Anyway, I'm getting off track. Let's get to the point why we gather. I am uh, Pastor Trevor. I'm glad you are here uh, to worship with us this morning, to hear God's uh, word. A, a real a quick correction on the notes in the bulletin. Um, as sometimes is the case um, in my study, I sometimes decide to rewrite the sermon um, after I write it. Um, and so uh, the first main point, knowledge of God, you can just scrap that. Um, it's not a main point in the sermon. It's part of the sermon, but it's just not a main point. And the title really should be, instead of just know God, it should be know God to obey God. Right? If you don't get anything out of the sermon this morning, just get that. Know God to obey God. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace this morning. I ask that you will allow us to submit ourselves before you uh, in the power of the Spirit, uh, that in spite of our sins and what we have done, Father, we ask that you will cleanse us and that you will forgive us for those sins. Help us confess those sins to you, give them to you, help us repent. And in doing so, Father, we ask that you sanctify us with your word this morning, that we will hear what we need to hear, uh, that you will illuminate to us the teachings of Scripture, Um, and that you will continue to form us and transform us into the likeness of your Son, and that whatever we do, Father, we glorify you. We ask this, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So where does obedience fit in the life of a believer? If we say we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, what role does obedience have? Is obedience even necessary for the one who believes in the name of Jesus Christ? Is it okay as long as we raise our hand or come to the altar or say a prayer that we repeat after someone? Is there more that we should do? Or is obedience just an option? Is it like an accessory to like a car? Like if you want the comforts of the Christian life, be obedient, but you don't have to. You can still have the standard model if you want. Or is obedience more than what we think it might be? Can we do as we please by the grace of God. Did Jesus Christ die on the cross so we can live how we want to live as long as we believe in his name? Uh, this morning our passage is First John 2, 3 uh, through 6. So if you would go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. If you need a Bible, we have them scattered throughout. Um, the main passage will not be on the screen. We prefer you have our primary text in front of you uh, and you get used to opening the Bible. It's a good practice, a good discipline uh, to do. Uh, and by having the primary passage in front of you, it will help you to refer to it um, as I preach through it so you can check me like a good Brian. And then any other uh, scripture, any other passage that is provided outside of that 
will be provided for you on the screen. So you won't be flipping uh, to and fro throughout your Bible. So let's go ahead and read First uh, John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Now by this we know that we have come to know God, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know God, and yet does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in such a person. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he resides in God ought himself to walk just as Jesus walked. So our knowledge of God should lead us to obedience to God. John's saying here, if you know God, if you claim to know God, you will know if you know God if you obey his commandments. Now, it is not through obedience that we come to God, okay? We, we, we have to understand that. It's not through obedience that we come to know God, but rather through coming to him and knowing him and who he is and what he, what he has done, we obey. All right, now let's remind ourselves of the context here of, of our passage. Remember, John is writing to believers, right? He's just talked about uh, what the false teachers were claiming, that you could be without sin, that there's no sin to be forgiven, and that um, you can have fellowship with God and, and not confess your sin. And, and what he's saying also is that by having fellowship uh, with God, you have eternal Life And so to know is equated with fellowship. If you know God, you have fellowship with him. So you can't claim to know God. You can't claim to have fellowship with God if you don't obey his commandments. Now, if John were writing to non-believers, he wouldn't be able to start this way. He would have to start with uh, how we come to know God to begin with. For example, he would have to talk about general revelation. We would have to talk about creation, kind of like what Paul does in Romans 1.20. He's like, look, the crea- since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have clearly been seen because they are understood through what has been made. So people are without excuse. The order, the complexity, the morality of creation that exists, it points to a creator. But of course, you might be thinking, well, that's not enough. You're right, it's not enough. General revelation, creation, it's not enough. That leads to agnosticism. So we need special or divine revelation. In other words, we need need God to reveal himself to us. We need his word, which has been given to us by Moses and the prophets and the apostles and most specifically by the word of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ himself. So when John speaks of people claiming to, uh, to know God, in John's mind, he is thinking of God of the Bible because he's already talking to people who claim to know Christ and, and know the work of Christ and they understand verse 2 of Jesus Christ being our propitiation for our sins, our atoning sacrifice. We, we talked about that last week. And so for John, to know God is to know the gospel. And he's saying, look, you who are the church, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if anyone among you claims to know God, claims to know the gospel, they will know this, you will know this, if they keep his commandments. And one cannot know God apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us this in John 5, 18, 24. Uh, It says, uh, John writes, For this reason the Jewish leaders were trying even harder to kill him. That's Jesus. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, thus making himself equal with God. So Jesus answered them, I tell you the solemn truth. 
The son can do nothing on his own initiative, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he does and will show him greater deeds than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whomever he wishes. Furthermore, the father does not judge anyone, but has assigned all judgment to the son, so that all people will honor the son just as they honor the father. The one who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. I tell you the solemn truth, the one who hears my message and believes the one who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but has crossed over from death to life. So to know God, one must know the Son, Jesus Christ. You have to know the word of God in which all the commandments are manifested and are revealed. This is the word of life that John talked about in chapter one of this letter, about how he, the apostle, has been with him, that's Jesus Christ, since the beginning of his ministry, and that he has seen, touched, heard the word of life, and that this word of life contains eternal life. Something that Jesus himself in John six twenty six twenty nine 29 uh, tells us. Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the loaves of bread you wanted. Do not work for the food that disappears, before the food that remains to eternal life, the food which the Son of Man will give to you. For God the Father has put his seal of approval on him. So then they said to him, What must we do to accomplish the deeds God requires? Jesus replied, This is the deed God requires, to believe in the one whom he sends, to have faith, in other words, in Jesus Christ, to believe in the Son of God. Now, This does not mean that our faith is blind or that it is absent from intellectual activity. To know God is an intellectual activity. It's an exercise of the mind. How else are we to know his commandments? How else are we to know what we are to obey and how to obey? How are we to rightly understand scripture if we don't use our mind, to use the intellect that God has given us? This is why we need doctrine. This is why we need theology in our churches, in our personal lives. How we understand all this and how we understand scripture is how we understand the roles of of, of men uh, in in the place of the house, of the home, in in marriages and families, or or the blessing for a man to remain single and to dedicate his life to ministry. Likewise, how else are we to know the roles of women within the context of marriages and families um, or if they were to be called to a life of singleness and what a blessing that is for them to dedicate their lives to a life of ministry. And how can we worship a God that we do not know? If it's blind faith and we never engage our mind, do we truly know God? We have to understand good intentions do not qualify our worship before a holy God. Good intentions do not make our worship authentic before God. Think of Uzzah in 2 Samuel 6. They're carrying the ark back to Israel. The ark stumbles a little bit. The oxen stumble. The ark is about to fall. Uzzah, he cares about the ark. He has a passion. His emotions are there. He loves God, and he reaches out to stable the ark. And what does God do? He strikes him down. He didn't strike him down. He struck him down because he was furious with him because he lacked understanding. See, ignorance, despite good intentions, does not excuse us. He should have known better. 
And it doesn't matter how well-intended his actions were. He still made God angry, and he made God angry to the point God struck him dead. You can read that. That's in 2 Samuel. Even David had issues with what had happened there. It was a lesson for David himself. Nor do our emotions or or our passions qualify our worship. Now, listen, it is not that our worship should lack emotions. All right? Our, our worship should be full of emotions. Absolutely. When we come here, our heart should be before God. It should be out there, and it should be before our brothers and sisters in Christ, and it should be in an emotional experience. But it should be in an emotional experience that is guided, filtered, informed by the truth, by the intellect, by what we know of God, not absent of it. Yet knowing God is not strictly an intellectual activity. It does involve our experience and our emotions as well. It's definitely a holistic experience, though it is not guided by our emotions or our experience. We've got to be careful with that. Emotions and our experience and our passions and our intentions do not mean authenticity. It doesn't make it true. But all these things have to be included along with our intellect. But if it lacks one thing, none of it matters, and that's obedience. If one has knowledge of God, yet lacks obedience, as John tells us, the truth isn't in them. They're a liar. Anyone who comes to you and says, oh, I know Jesus, I just don't obey his commandments or what he's teaching, he's a liar or she's a liar. And John's saying you can have confidence they're not a believer. Again, obedience to God is not how we get to know God. Think about Israel. Israel came to know God not because they were obedient to him, right? Because the law had not been given to them before they were delivered. God revealed himself to Israel as he delivered them from Egypt, from slavery. And then after their salvation, from slavery, then he gave them the law. Then he gave them commands to obey so that the nations would know that Israel belongs to him that they are his. And not only that, he gave them commands because he's a holy, perfect, righteous God and, and, and to have fellowship with him, for him to dwell among them. He needed to create a way to where they could be purified and cleansed of their sins to engage in that fellowship. Like Leviticus, the, the, the book that talks about the law and all these commands, along with Deuteronomy, it's, it's a love letter from God saying, I want fellowship with you and this is how we can make this work. This is how we can make it happen. Likewise, God has revealed himself to you and I in our own deliverance from slavery to sin. And he did that prior to giving you his commands. It was after salvation, after our experience of being redeemed, that he takes up residence within us and that his word abides within us. And then we are called to obey his commandments so that the people may know that we are his and that we may remain in fellowship, communion with him. See, for the person who obeys the commandments of God, the love of God, as John tells us, is made perfect in that person. And that only happens when God himself, who is perfect love, is dwelling within that person. So knowledge leads us to obedience and obedience leads us to fellowship with God. 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 
John makes this connection, this idea of fellowship with God at the end of verse 5. He says, by this, that is obeying his word, we know that we are in him. To be in him is to have fellowship with him, to have communion with him. This ultimately is a summary of John 14 as well as uh, John 15, and I'll read a few, few verses uh, from there. John 14, 21, this is Jesus talking. The person who has my commandments and obeys them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal or manifest myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and take up residence with him. We will dwell with him. We will have fellowship with him. And then in John 15, verse 10 through 11, If you obey my commandments, this is Jesus still talking, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That sounds like what John talked about earlier in John and 1 John 1. Now, in the context of John 15, to be real clear here, we find in verses 12 and 17 what the commandment is of what Jesus is talking about, which is to love one another. And not just to love one another, but to do so in a sacrificial way, which to the point of laying down your own life, for your brother or sister in Christ. Now, to clarify real quick this point, because we're going to talk about fellowship um, more um, in more detail next week. But today, I do want to clarify about what this command um, is about real quickly. This command does not override, nor does it give us permission to violate the other teachings of God. Right? I think quite often people use this command of loving others as the excuse to transgress or to violate why they don't obey the other commandments of God. We don't use the second great commandment of love your neighbor as yourself to violate the first commandment of love your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Right? Because oftentimes you hear, well, as long as it's done in love, it's all good. As long as you love the other people, it's okay. As if that's it. That's, that's not it. We, we can be wrong about it. We can do everything in love and still be doing everything that is worthy of damnation. And John makes this clear. He, he helps us in verse 6. He tells us, walk as Jesus walked. Jesus fulfilled these two great commandments without violating one or the other or without violating any commandments of the law. Ponder that. Jesus fulfilled the entire law. We are called to walk as such. Jesus was completely obedient. He didn't love others in a way that violated his love. He was very careful, very meticulous in that regard. In other words, his fellowship with the Father was never transgressed. It was never violated. It was never abused in the name of love your neighbor as yourself. This is where uh, the popular uh, preacher Stephen Furtick, who's uh, real um, popular with the Word of Faith movement, honestly goes off the rails. You can, you can search this up. He preaches and he teaches that Jesus Christ broke the law to save you. It's one of his most popular sermons. Jesus Christ loves you so much that he broke the law to save you. And, I mean, if you study scripture, it's, 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 just, it's just wrong. 
It's just wrong. It's, igno- it's ignorance. Um, and it's blasphemous to say that Jesus Christ violated the law in order to redeem us. But this is where people start getting the idea that God's love is reckless. It's out of control, that he cared so much about you. His passion for you is so great that he's, going, he's willing to go to great lengths, even to violate his own law to save you. This is why seeing of how God's love is reckless is a blasphemy. It profanes his holy name, his character, his nature. Peter in 1 Peter 1.15 instructs us, we are to be holy. And in verse 17 of the same chapter, we are to live our lives in reverence to God. So seeing praise to him in a way that is untrue is not doing that. You may be like, well, it's just one word, right? Because I hear that often. It's just one word. But God says in Matthew 12, Jesus says, we will be judged by every, every word. He doesn't say most of your words or the well-intended words. Every word that comes out of your mouth, especially the ones that you sing and praise to God, you will be judged. Therefore, when we sing songs, we should consider what words are coming from my heart as I sing, as I partake in this worship. Just like I have to be careful of the words that come out of my mouth as I proclaim the word of God to you all and I will be held responsible for that, we as a body of Christ need to be mindful of the words that we either sing in our head or actually sing in praise to God. And in a society where the songs form the theology more than the word of God, it's perhaps even all the more important that we be mindful of what we are singing and what we allow into our heads, into our homes, and into our churches. The Spirit is holy. The Bride of Christ is absolutely holy. And our God is holy. So our words of praise, likewise, ought to be holy. So let us submit ourselves in reverence to him. Now, let's get back on track here. When we obey him, We reside with him. That's God, because God takes residence with us. The Godhead takes residence with you. The the person who created all things dwells within you. And we have to understand this process that, that John tells us here. In our Western heads, we like to think of things in a linear process, but this isn't the how we walk with God. It's not a linear process, right? We don't know God, and and then we automatically have obedience to him, and then once we have obedience to him, then we have fellowship. Rather, it's it's more of a circle, more of a holistic um, activity, because our knowledge of God ultimately has to start with some fellowship with him, right? Right, when Jesus in John 3 tells us that we are to be born again, quite literally, that word means to be born from above, right? And so in order to be born from above, the birthing process starts from heaven. It starts from God himself. So some fellowship and the revealing of who he is has to exist. But once he reveals himself to us and and we are born again, then we know him to some degree. And once we know him, then we start obeying to him to some degree. And as we obey him, we have more fellowship with him. And as we have more fellowship with him and we have more intimacy with him, we have more knowledge of him, which leads to more obedience to him. And this is the process of sanctification. It's ongoing. This is why for believers, we're constantly walking lives of confession, walking lives of repentance, confessing our sins, acknowledging our sins constantly in his word. It's why we constantly need the gospel. And we always will until we are fully glorified and we see him fully for who he is. Our obedience 
isn't the condition for the fellowship. It is the sign of the fellowship, right? Our obedience isn't the condition for the fellowship. It is the sign of the fellowship. When Jesus is saying, the one who keeps my word, the one who loves me, we will remain in him. He's saying, he's saying this after he talks about how no one's going to snatch you from my hand. Whoever the Father gives to me will remain with me. So he's, praying, he's saying this is not condition, but if you're one of us, you're going to keep this word. And because you keep this word, we will remain in you. Since we remain in you, you will continue to keep our words. We will continue to love you. We will continue to reveal ourselves, manifest ourselves to you. And we, and we should know by now that when John in his letter Remember, this letter is all about assurance of salvation. How can we know that we have fellowship with God? Because fellowship with God is equal to having eternal life. Therefore, for ourselves to be assured of our salvation, we just have to simply look within and ask ourselves, do I desire to be obedient to God's word? Right? It's not about walking in perfection. John makes that clear. We talked about this last week. We're going to sin. All right, the false teachers are saying, no, you have no sin to confess with. John's saying, no, you do. All right, and because you walk in light, you're going to want to repent of those sins. You're going to want to confess, confess them. So it's about having that desire, not some vain desire of being obedient like it's a, a New Year's resolution, but one that is coated within us, like a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. No longer does the creature simply desire to free itself of the ground but it is now in its nature to be a creature of the air and no longer a creature of the earth when we are born again we no longer have this wishful thinking of oh i want to be free from sin and and live it we are free from sin and we can live it and we will live it if we are born again aw tozer wrote to many christians christ is little more than an idea, or at best, an ideal. He is not a fact. Millions of professed believers talk as if he were real and act as if he were not. Our actual position is always to be discovered by the way we act, not by the way we talk. It's an apt summary of John's passage this morning. The holiness of Israel didn't come from their obedience. Right? The holiness of Israel didn't come from their obedience. It came from the presence of God dwelling among them. It came from the Holy of Holies himself. And a presence that would remain with them as long as they kept God's commandments. And as we read in Ezekiel, uh, God's long-suffering patience eventually runs out and the Spirit of God leaves the temple. But we also read in, in the Old Testament about how God plans a returning with the new covenant, especially in Jeremiah 31, and how God will put his law, he'll put his word on our hearts as he himself, the Holy Spirit, dwells within us. No longer does he fill a temple made of man's hands, but he fills his own people. That is significant. The place where only sacred priests who have gone through extensive cleansing could enter into, and where a king once entered and suffered horrible consequences for assuming that he could, that presence that required so much now dwells within you and I. Think about that. Think about that. The Old Testament prophets have nothing on us because we have the presence of the Holy God dwelling within us wherever we go. So now that God is with us, our nature is no longer enslaved to sin. 
We are a new creation, and this echoes Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Galatians 2, 20, where he writes, So then, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look, what is new has come. And then in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is why we don't identify with our sins anymore. When you come to Christ, you're a Christian. There's no blank Christian. You're a Christian. You're you're new in Christ. You identify solely by the holiness and righteousness of the Son of God. None of the sins that you had, have, you struggle with, are part of your identity no more. God doesn't look at you and be like, oh, well, that's a, a lying Christian and a murdering Christian and a gay Christian. No, you're a Christian. You're a new creation. You're pure and holy before the Father because of the work of Jesus Christ. John 3, Jesus speaks of this in John 3, 3, I tell you the truth, unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You need a new identity. The body that you're born with, it's corrupted, it's evil, you will not get into the kingdom with it. So you have to be born again. And then later in John 3, Jesus tells us how we will be judged in 3, 19, 21. This is the basis for judging. This is Jesus telling us how we're going to be judged that the light has come into the world, right? This sounds like what we just talked about last week in 1 John. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil deeds hates the light. It does not come to the light so that their deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that it may be plainly evident that his deeds have been done in God. So if you in, if you're in the light and you love the light, as you do deeds of darkness, you're going to come to it and repent of it and be like, expose them for me because I, I hate these deeds of darkness. So to come to the light, for those of us in truth, that's our, that's our act of confession. That's our act of repentance. So if you wonder, if you know God, if you're saved, ask yourself this. Are you keeping his commandments? And more than that, it's not that you're sinless, But when you do sin, do you repent? Truly repent. Not like, oh, I messed up again. Forgive me. I'm glad you died on the cross for me, Jesus. And it covers that sin. But you mourn. You weep over the fact that you have sinned and that you have transgressed God's teaching. And you want to walk in the light. And you desire to know how not to sin again. And you do this recognizing that this fulfillment of walking perfectly and truly without sin, that won't come until you're glorified. But you cannot be glorified if you're not justified. But you won't be glorified if you're not sanctified either. And in order for you to be sanctified, to be made righteous, you have to be justified. So again, if you claim to have faith in Christ, if you claim to be justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, you should be undergoing some work of sanctification. You don't get justification and glorification without the sanctification. Paul's clear on that. Jesus is clear on that. All right, that's o- being obedient. John's clear, that, clear to that. Being obedient to the teachings of Christ. Now, in order for this to happen, we have to look to the cross. Right? We have to look to the cross. If you want to know God, look to the cross. Apart from the cross, you cannot know God. Build your life on the rock of Jesus Christ. After all, it's the rock that Jesus Christ is building his church. That Likewise, we ought to build ourselves upon the rock of Jesus Christ. So look at the cross. Gaze at it. Meditate 
at the cross and ponder the wrath of God that is there. The necessity of God's wrath to come down on his son, his own son who was spotless and blameless and why he had to suffer the full wrath of God. Study it. And then look at the cross, marvel at it, and reflect on the grace and love of God that is demonstrated there as well. And then drink of the good news of the resurrection and let that fill your soul, allow it to overflow from your eyes, and let it form how you live. The full experience of that. Allow your emotions to engage. Our emotions were given to us for a reason. It's how we become zealous for his word. It's how we become angry for his righteousness. And it's how we get worked up when we need to be worked up and how we weep over our sins. Our emotions are good when they are filtered and guided by the truth of who God is and by his word. They don't lead us. They accompany us. They come with us. They strengthen moments. They give weight to the moments in our lives, but they do not dictate to us what worship is or what truth is. God's word alone does that. When we do that, we will know how to worship in church. But most importantly, because worship in church doesn't matter if you don't worship in your life. And we worship in our life when we are obedient to the commands of God. When we submit ourselves to him and to his will in all that we do. If we think we can compartmentalize our life and to divide it up into sections and God can have a portion of it, we make ourselves to be liars. We desire to obey him in all that we do for his glory. That is our ultimate act of worship. And when we do that, when we come here on Sunday mornings, we're going to worship. And we're going to be full of emotion. Not because of the music, not because of the style that's presented, and you're going to eat of the word that's preached, not because of of the style of the preacher or how elegant the speaker is, but because the truth is there. And where there's truth and where those who are walking in light desire the truth, and we will eat hungrily of it, and we will celebrate the good news of lots of emotions because we just spent all week being obedient to his commandments, and that is a hard thing to do. But when we look to the cross, we're reminded of the good news. We're reminded of the atoning sacrifice that Jesus Christ was for us, is for us. And that we do have this advocate that stands at the right hand of the Father, allowing us to have fellowship with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for your word, for revealing yourself to us. In this day and age, Father, where there's so many teachings out there and there's just so many discussions and and, and viewpoints Keep us anchored to your perspective, to your teaching, to the truth, the one way that will last for all of time, beyond time. Your word will always remain. Help us submit ourselves to it, Father. Help us be willing to be brave and and, and courageous, for you have commanded us and you are with us in, in all that we do. Help us be obedient to these commandments before the people of the world. And help us be a light in the darkness. Despite the opposition that might come, the relationships that might be severed, help us love you with all that we are. And that in doing so, Father, as we love you and we fulfill that first commandment, that we're able to fill the second commandment, not at the expense of our relationship, our fellowship with you, but out of that relationship with you, Father, we can love everyone else as you call us to. Because we will know what true love is. 
And that love is best known in the truth of who you are and your character and so forth and how that forms everything. So help us have a desire to know you more, to dive deeply in, in, in your word and, and the theology of scripture, the theology of who you are in the church and so forth so that it can form our worship, it can form our lives so that we can renew our minds and we can know your will, which is so that we can please you, Father, and that we can walk in the light and we can discern and test all things as you call us to do. And help us be mindful of the words that come from our mouths. Let us not think that they carry no weight, Father. Help us remember that we will be judged for every word that comes from our mouth, but we recognize that if we walk in the light and that if we have fellowship with you and your spirit dwells within us, that we will be judged by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, and that we will be seen righteous. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for the freedom that affords us. Help us honor that. Help us honor your son as he calls us to so we can honor you. Be with those who are unable to be here this morning. Comfort them, heal them, keep them warm on this cold morning. Those who are dealing with the the flu, the stomach bug, depression, whatever it may be, Father, we ask that you heal them, that you heal us of our physical ailments, but most importantly, our spiritual ones, Father, as well. Help us stand tall during this week when doubts, depression, moments of darkness come upon us. Keep us strong. Help us reach out to one another, Father. Give us a, a, a spirit and a sense for one another to where we communicate with one another, not, not just on social media, but help us stop by one another's houses. Help us to call one another to uh, help shovel the driveways and, and just do what brothers and sisters do as a family. Help us know that joy. And as always, Father, continue to draw us to you so we know you first and foremost and that wherever we go, Father, at work, school, at home, shopping, hunting, whatever we do, may we glorify you. May we give thanks in all that we do. And let us not be anxious about anything, Father, because we know the truth and we know your peace because you reside in us. We ask all these things, Father, for your glory by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us as it has been sent to us by your Son, And it's in the name of your Son, Father. We ask all these things. Amen. Well, thanks, Trevor. Sometimes I daydream a little bit as I was listening, but one of the things that this morning, it was just those tracks, you know, on your kids, and you've got the us, God, and it's like mountain, mountain, gap, and then that cross just fills in between, and as an architect, of course, I'm trying to figure out how that all works, but, you know, how that works is Jesus, and the fact that he died on the cross, and that's what bridges us, so let's stand as we continue, we're going to sing about his grace right now, grace is greater than our sin, here we go.
make me whole. Lord, you know just where I've been. So light the fire in my heart again. One more time. So light the fire in my soul. Fan the flames, make me whole. Lord, you know just where I've been. So light the fire in my heart again. So light the fire in my heart again. One last time. So light the fire in my heart again. Thank you all for coming. I'm glad you could join us this morning. And now go and don't be ignorant anymore. Know God so that you can obey him. And in a day and age where ignorance is everywhere, simply because people just don't read his word, go to his word. And if you need a reading plan, uh, we do still have some in the back. And even though it might be dated for the calendar year, start with the 19th. It's, it's okay. We're looking to foster a lifetime habit to where you'll be in his word, not just for one year, but for every day, for the rest of your life, so that you may know him, so that you may obey him, which ultimately allows us to have fellowship with him and give him the holy worship that he so deserves. Now go, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may you glorify him in all that you do. God bless, and we'll see you next week.